0: Well, praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house again this evening. Might be the Noah's Ark crowd, but that's all right. It's good to be in the Ark. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's, uh, Let's start our service off with prayer. You can remain seated if you want. We'll ask the Lord to bless us, and then we'll have a time of corporate prayer. Afterwards, we'll lift up our prayer request. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for your many blessings to us. We thank you for the privilege to be able to be here, and we pray for those who would like to be here but can't make it tonight. You know who they are. You know where they're at. We ask that you would be with them in this time. We ask that you would anoint this service. May you minister and speak to our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if anyone has a special prayer request. I know that there's some that are not here this evening, and we want to remember those in prayer. Maybe you have a testimony upon your heart. Good.
1: The Lord answer prayer for that I know it's not a great thing but it's a lot of money to me and yeah. I thank you for doing that and I thought of his many blessings and traveling mercies yesterday I traveled a lot in the bad weather and I, I thank you for his traveling mercies and it's amen. Just, I love him I'm glad he saves me and sanctifies me and keeps me by his power and praise I do like do it at all
0: I praise him amen praise the Lord anybody else
1: Amen. I was trying to clean my weird windshield off this morning when I got out of work and uh, lifted my windshield wiper up. And the windshield wiper fell off. And when I went to try to put it back on, the plastic piece of holding on fell underneath the car. Oh no. And I couldn't see it anywhere, so I was afraid. And today it was a miracle. The car beside me left. And I was able to pull over a parking spot so I could see it.
0: Well, again. Amen. Good. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. I remember one time I was driving along and it was raining pretty good. And the big truck I was driving that had cars hooked on the back and up on top of it. And driving along and kicked the windshield wipers on. and I Went back and forth a couple of times. I said, you know, it doesn't seem like it's doing very good. And then whoop, there it goes. <laughs> that little clip wasn't on there either. <laughs> but I thank the Lord for His protection. Amen. Many times He watches over us. Amen. I, I uh, truly believe we're going to get to heaven. I think there's going to be some things that's been revealed, that will be revealed to us about how the Lord watched over us and we didn't even know about it. Maybe He healed us of ailments we didn't even know we had. Thank the Lord. Amen. He's worthy of our praise. I'm
1: looking for the snow. I really enjoyed looking at it today. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My dad used to say, anybody that thanks the Lord for the snow is probably not a person that works in it. (laughs) But I did enjoy working in it when we did construction outside. It was enjoyable. I've done car mechanics in the snow and that's not near as enjoyable. (laughs) Fishing for bolts. Amen. Thank the Lord. He's worthy of our praise. Amen.
1: Wow praise the Lord
0: I think about, the Lord, it might seem like a bad thing that but I that's one of the good his, Amen. His name Sergius. Sergius, he in Ukraine. Surges. Well, let's remember him in prayer, new convert. Thank the Lord. And there's probably other stories too that we're not aware of. But thank the Lord. He works in mysterious ways. His ways are much higher than ours. And he doesn't Let anything slip by. Amen. Opportunities to draw souls closer to Him. Thank the Lord. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Amen. He sometimes comes along and razes us a little bit. You know what it's like to be razzed or harassed? He might as well do that. That's all he can do. Because he can't touch us without the Lord's permission. Amen. Remember reading in Job? The Lord had to pull back that hedge a little bit. Just... To Harass Job a little bit and try him. The Lord had to give him permission. Couldn't do anything without the Lord's permission. That's a comforting (coughs) thought, isn't it? Thank the Lord. Any others? All right, we'll sing some songs. Last week, we were not able to do our soul winning session. And so typically it would have been last week, um, the last Tuesday of the month, so we'll do it tonight. And I wanted to sing some songs that might be a little more stirring to our hearts, maybe some people would call them more invitational, but I want us to be thinking along the lines of lost souls. And let's turn to hymn number 480, number 480. Notice the songwriter, of course, he gives the invitation. He says softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. He says they're calling for you and for me. Then in the second verse, it said he is pleading for you and for me. And he says passing from you and for me. The time is passing from you and for me. And then he talks about the wonderful promises of his love promised for you and for me. And looking over that this afternoon, it just stuck out to me again anew and afresh that we sing these songs sometimes and think, well, this is only if a sinner is among us or someone that's not where they should be spiritually. I want us to think about this, this calling, what does it mean for you and me uh, as a Christian, as a soul winner? What is this calling? There's a calling to the lost soul, the sinner, to come home. And there's a calling to the prayer warrior, to the soul winner, to go out to the harvest. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth later on in the Bible study. Let's sing it together. 480.
2: Softly and tenderly. for you and for me come home From you and from me, shadows are gathering, death's night is coming.
0: Call that is. Do you remember that call in your own life? Amen. Four hundred and seventy-seven, just back a few. Four hundred and seventy-seven. Is your heart right with God?
2: Jesus in the temple with him. Is thy heart right with God? Is thy heart right with God? Washed in the crimson flood, in the sight of God? Are all, all thy powers under Jesus' control? Is thy heart right with God? Does he each moment abide in thy soul? In the crimson flood, cleansed and made holy, humble and lowly, right
0: in the sight of God. What a powerful question! Is thy heart right with God? a lot of people who believe that they're okay, at least in their own sight. It's hard to find a sinner anymore. used to go out soul winning and start by finding someone who's not right spiritually, who's not doing well spiritually. It's hard to find anybody who's not doing good spiritually anymore. Everyone's a Christian. It's hard to find a sinner out there. One person said you have to convince them that they're lost before you can convince them they need to be saved. That's truly challenge of today. There was another song, I couldn't find it in the hymn book. I printed it off and I don't know that we can sing it. Maybe we don't have the notes for it. I thought maybe it might have been in the songbook by another title. It's Yes I Know. Come ye sinners, lost and hopeless. Jesus blood can make you free. For he saved the worst among you when he saved a wretch like me. To the faint he giveth power. Through the mountains make a way. Findeth water in the desert. Turns the night to golden day. In temptation he is near thee. Hold thee. I'll have to look at the other words. These are kind of mixed together. Yes, holds the powers of hell at bay. Guide you to the path of safety. Give you grace for every day. To the faint, I think I read that one. Verse number four is, He will keep thee while the ages roll throughout eternity. Though earth hinders and hell rages, all must work for good to thee. And I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes, I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. That was pretty good. What a message for the lost and the hopeless. We have the answer. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You have the answer that so many are looking for. Amen. Amen. Uh, Alright, 412. All right, 412. Let the lower lights be burning. Amen.
2: Fainting, struggling, say, man, you may rescue, you may save.
0: amen. So true, so true. Often had the picture of a lighthouse in my mind as I passed by. Sometimes in the country, just a little church, maybe overgrown with weeds maybe appear to be attended but not by much my heart always has gone out to small churches having grown up in one and also helping minister to different small churches throughout my short time in the ministry told them different times you may not think your ministry here is very significant the building is amount to much or there's much value but if God can have a place to send one lost soul in the community It'd be worth it to keep the lights on in the old lighthouse. Keep the windows all shining, keep the fire burning. Praise his name. Amen. I'd like us to turn to John, St. John chapter 3. A stirring passage here. our key text is going to be found between verses 34 and 38. We're going to ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word. We love you, Lord, and thank you once again for the opportunity to be here. Stir up our hearts and stir up our minds. Lord, give us eyes to see the harvest. Give us hearts that don't come up with excuses. Stir us tonight, we pray. Shine your light upon our souls as we look into your word, and we'll give you the praise. Amen. You probably know the context of this passage, but it's Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He uh, starts off by asking a question. If he could have a drink of water, of course he's talking of physical water. Before he's through, he has the occasion turned around where he's talking about spiritual things. And uh, he exposes sin in her life and calls her out for some things that she's got going on, some immorality, live in, relationship, and goes on to uh, really grip her heart and she goes to tell others. And as you read down through there, you find out that others came out to meet Jesus. She uh, was pretty intrigued with this man who could tell her everything that she's done, could tell her past. Jesus is the discerner. and uh, Others came out, and then also his disciples came and brought him food, and they wanted him to, to eat. And I believe I preached from this passage maybe on a Sunday morning not too many weeks ago. I want to maybe dip into some of those same truths. As we pick up reading verse number thirty four, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye therefore, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are ready, are they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. I want to use for tonight's Bible study, the phrase there, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. That phrase of excuse that's so easy to use, I've used it before, I'm sure you have too, The devil comes along and he has, it seems, an endless supply of excuses as to why we can't be doing what God has called us to do. So easy to come up with reasons. I'm not going to turn there, but think back with me for just a moment about Moses being called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. A tall task, something that by his understanding, nobody had ever done that before. You may be faced with some situations where God asks you to do some things that maybe you can't point to another example in the Word. Maybe you can't look to another example in church history where God asks you something to do. And you can't point to another person who did whatever it is that God is asking you to do. But we can be assured of one thing, that whatever God asks us to do, He will give us the strength and the ability. Whatever lack that we might have, Many times when God asks us to do something, He's not actually asking us to do it. But He's asking us to put forth all of our effort to see it done. And whatever means that we don't have, God will make a way. God will fill in the gaps. God will help. You remember in the Scriptures how Moses seemed to come up with some excuses as to why he couldn't lead the people. He went from... uh, being a a shepherd in the wilderness to being the leader of a great nation. That's quite the promotion all in one step. (laughs) They say be careful not to promote anybody, uh, any new Christian. Don't promote a a new convert, somebody who's not been faithful very much. It's dangerous. It can go to their head. The Lord did that sometimes, didn't He? And sometimes people did fail. Sometimes people did waver. Uh, But God calls us to the harvest fields Say not ye, there are yet four months. Don't say that there's still plenty of time. I don't know about you, but I don't think that you're very different from me. I just don't. You're all unique. I don't think any of you have the same personality that I have. I'm glad none of you have the same looks that I have. I don't know if I'd put up with that. It's hard enough looking in the mirror. My grandpa used to say, he said, I know my face is no star, but I'm behind it. I don't mind it. It's the folks in front that get the jar. <laughs> I know we're all different in different aspects and different ways. But I have reason to believe of talking to other brothers and sisters in Christ and talking to some of you that are here. That God gives us the same command to witness and to win souls. He's given us all the same command. And the devil, the same excuses that he'll try to give me to use, he's tried to give you too. I'm sure of it. I'm just that sure. I'm just that sure of myself. Because the devil, he's got the same old tricks and he'll wrap it in a different package and present it to different ones in different ways. But the devil's full of excuses. One excuse is that there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time for you to witness to your neighbor. There's plenty of time to see your loved ones saved. Don't worry about it right now. Yes, you want to see them saved. As long as you have a little bit of a hanker and a little bit of a burden to see them saved, uh, that's all right. That's enough to, you know, that's enough to soothe the conscience a little bit. You don't want to be to the point where you don't care at all, but the devil will say, as long as there's a little bit of burden there, a little bit of passion, as long as you mention it once in a while in your prayers, maybe as long as you have it on your prayer list, that's good enough. And the devil will come around with these excuses and the If you allow excuses to get in between you and your obedience to God and hinder your obedience to God, the devil will provide an endless list of excuses. I mean, he is the the master of excuses. He really is. And he'll provide you an endless amount of excuses. Jesus is saying here, don't say that there's still more time. Don't let that be an excuse. And my compelling... To you tonight, my exhortation to you tonight is make sure that you're not a person who allows time to be an excuse. That there's still time. They're not on their deathbed yet. They're not passing away yet. We've got tomorrow. We had yesterday. We had the day before. We're going to have tomorrow. There's always more time. And that's how souls slip into eternity. That's how a church sits stagnant. That's how a church people uh, become comfortable just sitting while souls perish. But he says, there's a harvest. He says, lift up your eyes. In other words, you need some eye salve. You need to see. You need to have a burden for the lost. You need to have a care. You need to have a compassion. I had shared some different books that will help you along those lines. I believe the Bible will help you. The Bible is the number one soul winner book. Don't. Don't be confused. Don't let somebody else tell you that you have to have another book before you can be a good soul winner. There's been lots of good soul winners through the past that all they had was the Bible. The Bible is the master soul winner book. There are some other good books that can help move you and motivate you. I'm going to read from this one tonight a little bit. It's uh, titled, It's Revival We Need. And it's written by C. William Fisher. It was a last call, if you will, to the Nazarene church. I know we don't come from Nazarene roots, but a lot of the Nazarene folks and the Nazarene preachers and Nazarene denominations all held to the values that we hold to now. But look where they're at today. They've slipped. They've drifted. Here's another good one. The Soul Winner's Secret by Samuel Logan Bringle. That's another good soul winning book, and I've mentioned these before. Along these lines, I really want to emphasize stuff like this. It says, The Lost Soul's First Day in Eternity. What a title. The Lost Souls' First Day in Eternity. J.M. Humphrey. And the the titles of these chapters are stirring just to read the titles by themselves. I believe I read them before. Maybe one of the first soul winning sessions we did. But the first chapter is Deathbed Events. Then the Parting Hour. The Funeral Procession. Awakening on the Other Shore. The Flight to Hell. Some Things That Meet His Sight. Some of hell's torments. Hell's torments continued. No rest in hell. No possibility of escape. No annihilation. A testimony meeting in hell. A letter from hell, part 1, 2, and 3. There's three chapters on that. Jottings from hell. Small sins. Quote, small sins in hell. In other words, the people that got there were just small things. The sinner's vision of heaven. His evening plight. The Duration of Eternity. And then the last chapter is, What Hath Eternity in Store for Me? Some stirring words, some stirring stories. I've begun to read in there, and there are deathbed stories. You don't hear deathbed stories anymore. Why am I mentioning that? Why does that pertain to us? Well, we're all Christians here, Pastor. We don't need to know that stuff. We're we're not looking forward to uh, an eternity without God. We're Christians. No, but I think we have to get a vision of what it's like to be lost in eternity without God before we're really going to care, before we're really going to do what it takes to stand in the gap. There's always more time. That's the excuse that Jesus addressed in this passage. Don't say that there's more time. I like what my dad says, a quote on intercession prayer that I like to use, something I heard him say when I was at my home church. And he says, intercession, praying, praying in intercession for a lost soul is praying in desperation, praying the way that you prayed for your soul when it was lost. Praying as though it was your soul, that it is your soul that's being lost. In other words, standing in the gap, imagining what it would be like if you were the lost soul, if you were faced with eternity without God, if you were stuck in your sins, praying with that sort of vision, that sort of attitude, understanding that It's going to take a cry of desperation to stand in the gap. It's going to take a burden, uh, a person that sees the vision, that can envisionize where this person is heading in order to rummage up enough courage to be obedient to God, to stand in the gap and intercede for this lost soul. This chapter I'm going to read out of this book uh, titled, It's Revival We Need. The chapter uh, title is called, Pay the Price of Revival. Pay the Price of Revival. It is, incidentally, the last chapter in the book, but I thought it was very fitting uh, in our study. Pay the Price of Revival. Some teenage boys were tinkering with a car that would no longer run. One said, I believe the trouble is in the carburetor. Another said, I believe it's in the spark plugs. Another said, I believe the problem is the battery. Finally, one of the boys called out, "'Hey, you guys, here's the trouble, no gas.'" When they pushed the car to the filling station and filled it up with gas, they started going places again. All sorts of experts are swarming over the church today, giving their diagnosis of the trouble, trying to answer the question, "'What's wrong with our evangelism?' Some point at the superintendents and say, "'There's the problem.'" Others point at the pastors and say, there's the difficulty. Others point at the schools and say, there's the trouble. Others point to laymen and say, there's the problem. While many others point their fingers at evangelists and say, no doubt about it, there's our difficulty. Isn't it about time that all of us quit pointing our fingers at anyone except ourselves? and then get down on our knees and pay the price to fill up with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we could go places never gone before, and we wouldn't have time to ask, do revivals pay? We would be too busy enjoying the throb of power of a vital and thrilling evangelism. But that's just it. We want evangelism results without paying revival prices. We want to go places evangelistically without paying the price of filling up. But God is not running a discount house. If He gives evangelistic results, it will be because we have paid revival prices. My own heart is disturbed when I see those who profess less than we do, and yet at times show more concern, more real passion, more willingness to be filled afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit than some of us who profess so much. The day before Dr. George Truett died, his wife left the hospital room for a few minutes, and when she returned, she had a friend with her. Not seeing Dr. Truett in bed, the ladies looked around, and there, by the open window, they saw him kneeling with his arms outstretched toward the city of Dallas. Sick as he was, and as near to the end as he was, this man who had pastored the First Baptist Church in that city for 50 years and had made a tremendous impact on its life was kneeling there with tears running down his face as he sobbed Oh people of Dallas won't you come to Jesus we may not share their denominational labels or their theological bias but may God in heaven forgive us if we who profess so much do not share that kind of burning aching passion I don't know about you but I have come to the place where I feel the needs of the world are so urgent, and hearts are so hungry, and the harvest is so white, and the laborers are so few, and the time is so short, and the bombs are so awesome that whether a man dots every i and crosses t's just as I do, or speaks the same words in the same accents, if he has God on him, if he is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, if he has the burning, passionate hunger to see souls saved and the kingdom advance in these desperate days I will gladly give him my hand my heart and my prayers thank God we can all be filled with the spirit and enjoy the full throb of his power in our lives and in our churches and in our evangelism can we get along without revivals in the church of the Nazarene the answer is an emphatic yes Lots of other churches do. But it all depends on what you mean by getting by. If you mean, can we build bigger and fancier buildings without revivals? The answer is yes. If you mean, can we add more members to the roles without revivals? The answer is yes. If you mean, can we increase our college enrollments without revivals? The answer is yes. If you mean, can we increase our finances? our social and denominational prestige without revivals? The answer is yes. If you mean can we enlarge our missionary enterprises without revivals? The answer is yes. If you mean can we engage in various types of evangelism without revivals? The answer is yes. But if you mean can we fulfill our mission as a holiness church committed to holiness evangelism without revivals? The answer is an emphatic no to be a redemptive agency in the sin-scarred world, we must have revivals. To resist the incredible pressure of a church in transition, we must have revivals. To maintain our loyalties to our doctrines and our standards, we must have revivals. To fulfill the dreams and realize the vision of our founders, we must have revivals. To fulfill our destiny, and to realize our full potential as a God called, God directed, God empowered, distinctively holiness church, we must have revivals. To hand on a spiritually vigorous and dynamic church to our children, we must have revivals. To have an evangelism that is more than a mockery of our mission, but that is a genuine holiness evangelism that sees souls saved and believers sanctified holy and that is at once the dynamic, the dynamic of the church and the only adequate answer to a confused and chaotic world, then we must, we simply must have revivals. May God help us all to be willing to pay whatever price we have to pay for that revival emphasis that has ever been and must ever be the first and finest thrust of the evangelism in the church of the Nazarene. I don't know how many people in the Nazarene church have read that. But that kind of broke my heart, reading that and realizing where the Nazarene church is today. Recognizing that there was a man who saw what was happening. Who had spiritual vision enough to see the turn, see the twist, and see the downfall. Of a church denomination. You've heard me say it before. And it's no secret that denominations have strong points. And weaknesses. That uh, non-denominational churches uh, don't have. Uh, There are lots of strong points of a denomination. They can support ministries that a non-denominational church could never support. Put missionaries on the field like a non-denominational church could never do. A lot of things one of the downfalls is if the leadership of a denomination takes a turn for compromise fails to see the burden for the loss, and lets go of the doctrine that they once held to many times it sets that barge flowing downstream and uh, not saying it's impossible to recover but, but by history it rarely happens rarely happens That stirred my heart. I don't know if that stirred yours, but I hope it did. Say not, ye therefore, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. They're white already to harvest. They're ready. I wonder how many souls are really ready to harvest. If we could just get our eyes open. If we could just get in tune with the Spirit. I wonder if He would guide us to the souls that are ready. I wonder how many it would be on a day-to-day basis. I wonder. Leonard Ravenhill says some interesting things. There's been some things that I've heard him say, and I agree with his doctrine, but I've heard him say some things, and I've scratched my head a little bit. Some things I've heard him say and I've had a hard time agreeing with at first and then after some deep thought, yes, he's right. He's much wiser, was much more spiritual probably than I am. One thing that he said, he said, the rapture, he's like, I don't care what you say or what anybody says, he said the rapture won't happen until the church sees revival and there's a white and spotless bride ready for the Lamb. That really struck me. He said, until the church is really ready, until the church is really doing what the bride is to be doing, He said, you won't see the rapture. Those are his words, not mine, but they were very stirring to me. Continue to add on to that burden to see the church doing what it's been called to do. As when you guys had asked me to come and pastor here, I passed the message along. I said, if you're looking for a pastor who will preach three beautiful messages very, very elegantly put together, preach those every week, visit people, smile, shake hands at the door and say hello and be the one that goes out and does all the evangelism and you can just pad my nest, I said you got the wrong guy, God has called us all to be so winners. And it's my job to move each one of you to be soul winners, to be what God's called you to be. It's not good enough just to come and sit in here doing service times. And I, I'm not trying to shave you. I'm not trying to shear you. As it's been said before, I said the sheep need sheared once a year, but they need fed every day. Amen. I want to feed you. I want to feed you. I want to be with you. I want to learn with you. I'm not the one with all the brains. I might be the one with the least amount of brains. But I'm a man with a passion to see the lost saved and the saved sanctified, and that all would glorify God in holy living and purity of the heart. And it's our job to go out and win souls. And I know you witness, and I know I do too. I've been there when some of you have witnessed, and I appreciate hearing the stories. It's not pointing glory at yourself if you testify about how you witness to people in this church. This is a time when brothers and sisters come together and encourage each other, and that is how we're to learn. I was talking to someone today and they talked about how a particular person in their life had arrogance and they said time they had to ask a question they, that person would belittle them and say, oh, you should be smart enough to know that. And I said, you know, I had a person to do that to me one time. They said, oh, uh, you should know that. Even I know that. And I said, well, stop just a second. I said, how did you know that? How did you find that out? Did someone tell you? <laughs> we learn from each other and we learn from the Lord. It's our desire to grow and to walk together and be busy and be faithful. How many has filled out your your survey sheet that I gave you last month? Raise your hand. All right, one has. The rest of you got your work cut out for you. I know we had Thanksgiving and I know that is an adjustment. Um, And I don't think it's something that should be filled out hastily. Uh, By the way, I'm not going to read the results. I'm not going to read your sheet out in front of everybody else. But I do. I do want to press you and I do want to see you fill it out. Each person of this church, I want to fill out that sheet. And I want to see the results. I want to look at it. I want to know how I can help you be a better soul winner. I may not be the one with all the answers like I just said. I may not be the one who's winning the most souls like I would like to see me win souls and see us win the souls together. But I want to know what I can do to help you as your pastor, because that's my duty to help you. It's my duty to kindle a fire under your feet, to keep you warm and alive in a cold day, but also to keep you busy doing what God has called you to do. So do, please, take the time to pray and to fill out that study sheet. And uh, you can put it in the little wooden box back there uh, where there's a little slot to put papers in there. I'm the only one that has the key to that. I can rest assured that I'll be the only one that reads it. Um, or you can hand it to me uh, at some point when you see me. But I would like you to fill that out. I think it's some questions that many people, many Christians in their life have never addressed. And I don't want you in the church that I pastor to be one of those people. Even if you don't want to be a soul winner, that is totally up to you. But I want you to make that a conscious decision. If you're not going to be a soul winner, I want you to make that decision consciously. But as your pastor, I want to move you. I want to encourage you. I want to help you in any way that I can. And I mean that. And I hope you know that I mean that from my heart. Let's stand tonight and ask the Lord to bless us as we go about our ways. We do need you to help us, Lord. We love you. We are so thankful for all that you've done. From dying on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago, to ministering and speaking to our hearts, to guiding us, Lord, into fellowship together, to guiding us and directing us day by day and giving us spiritual food each and every moment, giving us strength, Lord, all the things that you do for us. We're appreciative. We're thankful. We're grateful. Lord, help us to catch the vision that you have for us. As your disciples were there that day, may we receive this message that you gave to them. May we receive it anew and afresh. We make not excuses that there's still going to be time while souls are dropping off right and left. While our life is not promised tomorrow. Lord, it's easy to think about other people maybe not being there, but help us, Lord, to realize how long eternity is and how short this life is. May it change our vision. May it change our little world. Be with each one, we pray. Would you touch those and minister to those in body and soul that weren't able to be here tonight we love them as you do we can't wait till they're meeting back with us again guide us and direct us moment by moment let us live well pleasing in your sight in jesus name everyone said amen you're dismissed